Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG and MHS Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, now, a couple couple weeks ago someone asked me um how i came up with my intro what is up everybody i will tell you i no one comes up with that that is the most generic in intro that you could possibly <laughs> have so uh, i can't claim credit for something i've been doing for 10 years i i will say that uh it's out of laziness and uh it is not uh, something that is created so anyway you heard the laughter of my guest here and i'm sure you saw it when you clicked on this uh podcast uh, or or downloaded it or whatever you do. It is uh, my friend who I haven't actually had on here for a while. I don't think. Um, yeah, the what the hell? Director of content uh-huh. at uh, DNVR, and uh, and the also in not locked on nuggets. He also does the the post game stuff with DNVR on there, which you can also listen to as a podcast uh, and many other things. Uh, he also does locked on NBA on. Fridays, as if I remember correctly. So it is uh, my friend who I haven't had on here for a while, as I said, Adam Marais. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Um, I think we made this joke last time, but the old Jerome Jerenovich introduction, <laughs> like not a great catchphrase, but you're right. I never thought of a catchphrase either when we got started. I say the same thing every time, but it wasn't. It, now it's just out of habit, but I wish I would have put more thought into that. So all you young podcasters out there, come up with a good catchphrase now. Yes, do it. Do it now because they'll remember it because people say like, oh, man, what is up, everybody? It's like, no, no, that's just no, no, because Ross and Nate behind the curtain, Ross and Nate will give me shit for not having one because they both had one when we started the podcast. And I, I finally did. Well, what is up, everybody? And it's stuck and it's just stupid. <laughs> um, So, Mr. Marez, we need to talk about some things because our, our Denver Nuggets have gone 0 and 3. Uh, the last three games with a <laughs> yeah. last with a loss against Dallas Mavericks, a one point loss where Jamal Murray looked like a guy who's coming back from injury. Um, so to kind of start us off, what is your kind of take on? I mean, I've been listening to Locked On um, and uh, your conversations with Matt, and Matt said something I'm going to get to in a bit. But what is your kind of overall view of the kind of funk that they've been in? Is it, is it something that you think is uh, what, what, from what is the causation that you've seen for just from looking at it from basically my vantage point too? What is the reason for this slump, this lull? Or what is your view of why they're kind of just, you know, kind of in this know, lackadaisical man. area? I mean, it does feel like the season is a slog already, which is one of the things you have to avoid as a team. Like, 82 games really is, like, too many for you just to be good. You're not really building mm-hmm. towards anything for 82 games. So you have to find a way to, like, do other things along the way. And I do think one of those things is just, like, enjoy each other's company and enjoy the time. And, you know, you're working towards small micro goals, but... Uh, you know, it's an enjoyable experience right now. They've got like, I think half the roster has a look on their face of, we have five more months of this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the finish line is so far away and everybody seems, you know, Malone. And I think if I were to say one thing that really stands out to me, Malone's 
ripping the team apart after a 30 point win over Houston to me that that I'm not totally surprised that they went on a three game losing streak after that. I'm not trying to pin it all on that. Mm. I'm just saying it's a moment that is indicative of what it seems like being around the team. It just seems like where they are. It's like, it's early November. Like, let's not, I don't want to be grounded, man. I don't want to be grounded if my homework's late (laughs) the first week of the semester. (laughs) Well, I, this is a Malone thing, as we both know. And he just kind of does these things. Um, and I knew when it happened that it wasn't good. They weren't going to respond well to it, and they didn't, quite frankly. Um, right. That you can draw a direct line. And there's a there's a thirty point win against against the Houston Rockets, and then playing like you don't want to be there the the next game, the very yeah. next game. It's just it is what it is, yeah. right? I, I you can't you can't deny it. And Malone finally changes up the rotation. They play a little better against the Mavericks after losing in a really awful game against the the Pelicans. But more than that, the defense has been awful. And it has been putrid. It's the worst of the Malone era, maybe going back to 2016. So what is your what is your view of the defense right now? Because I I kind of have a view uh, that there's some handicaps that the Nuggets have that, that that that's really hard to overcome. Um, but that doesn't mean that it should be just historically bad. What is your kind of view of why the defense is where is where it is right now? It's another good question. I mean, I have a lot of theories on this one. The one that I'm most tied to right now is that the Nuggets are just not exhausting to play against. And it's partially a defensive issue, but I think it's a lot of just the general how the team plays. Their style of play is very slow, very methodical. And that works for some teams. Dallas is a slow, methodical team, but it's done in a different way that allows them to be a very transition defense-oriented team. Guys aren't expending a lot of energy on the offensive end, so they're not really expending it on the defensive end and all that kind of stuff. Um, They're also just longer than Denver. But I think Denver right now, I mean, this is my big thing, and you have been a diehard Nuggets fan as long as anybody. Mm -hmm. How many times have the Nuggets, when you're playing a team on the second night of a back-to-back, the other team just punts? They just say, you know what? We're going to Denver the second night. We're not even going to bring our guys or, you know what? Let's give it to half. But if they're, if they're out of it, let's, let's just kind of not throw in the towel, but we're not going to really come. And I think playing in Denver on the second night of a back-to-back has never been easier in Mm -hmm. large part because of how slow Denver plays, Mm -hmm. how deliberately Denver plays um, and just how easy they are to guard again, not easy in terms of, can you stop them? Cause Denver scores on you, but just easy as in, well, they scored on us but man i gotta take a 20 second rest so i think it has to do with a lot of different things length on the defensive end and all the you know personnel buy-in effort but i think it has a sneaky large amount to do with just how little denver makes other teams work i i agree with this and we're going to get into this now but i'm glad you brought this up um it has been a endlessly frustrating for me as someone who has watched the nuggets since 1987 as someone who saw these nuggets teams run teams basically to ragged out of the gym on the second night they would do it purposely it doesn't have to be all the time but purposely you identify that you're on the the west coast to denver back to back and you're going to get nailed by this nuggets team and it happened every single time um obviously the nba has done things some things to mitigate the home home court advantage for the nuggets but the what has happened is the nuggets in the malone era have just been getting slower and slower and slower yeah 
And uh, it has complete not as hasn't neutralized their home court advantage because a lot of it has to do with how good you are. But the other part of it is that you can sneak out some two, three, four, five wins a year by running a team out of the gym that just is tired. And the Nuggets have not done that. They have deliberately not done that. And it's been exceedingly frustrating to me as someone who's watched the Nuggets for this long. And I can't figure out why you would like not even try, I guess, is 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 my thing. And they always blame Jokic. Jokic likes to go fast. He likes to get those outlet passes out there. He's he's not going to uh he's not going to um you know it slow you down as much as Jamal will. So, I mean, yeah, he'll run the ball up the court. Like sometimes, in fact, I have it, I had a stat for it's now a week old, but it was that Jamal Murray crosses half court slower than any other player in the NBA. It's now the third year in a row that he has been healthy, that that has been the case that he brings the ball. It just walks the ball up slower than anyone else. And by the way, Bones Highland, shockingly slow as well, which makes me think like Bones loves to play fast. It makes me think it's more of a Nuggets personality trait than it is a Jamal personality trait. But I will say Jokic, I think, was the fastest on the team in terms of when he brings the ball up the court, it's fast. Now, some of this is most of the time Jokic is bringing it up. It is for fast break purposes. So there's some selection bias going on there. Right. But nonetheless, I agree that I think Jokic would play fast. Um it would be willing to and and probably thinks it's smart to play fast. And I and when I say play fast, it's not shoot fast. It's just get the ball up and get into your entries fast. Make the other team – actually, here's the best way to think of it. Give the other team the shortest amount of time to rest after each possession. Like right. when they have to go back to when they have to like lock in again, don't mm-hmm. give them five, six, seven seconds. Give them two seconds before they have to be back and matched up. Right. Right. Well, it's getting to your sets. I mean, I mean, Jamal, it's been always frustrating to me because it's like – it's you could see him looking at Malone while he's dry, walking the ball <laughs> up the court. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's like he gets it out with, with 16 seconds left on the shot clock. Well, how much of your offense are you going to able be able to run in 16 seconds, get the right. ball, dump the ball, get that in, in the Jokic, get him to run the actions, get, you know, that kind of semi quasi triangle thing that they do. And then you, they get to the basket. And it's just like, if you maybe had saved yourself, I don't know, two, three seconds there, you could probably do something else and right. maybe p- push the advantage on the, on, on the, on the defense. And they don't do that. And it's part of it to me. And maybe you can react to this. And this is one of my, my biggest pet peeves about um, the way the nuggets have approached things the last eight years, uh, excuse me, nine years now is that it, if you're not pressing the advantage, some of it has to do with your defense and your defense and offense have to work together. And and my biggest thing about the Nuggets is that they they kind of exist on two different planes. They don't really work together. It the 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 and I always call it I call it twenty four second defense. You're not going to induce steals. Your point is not to induce steals. You want to induce a missed shot, and sometimes that takes twenty four seconds. Obviously, you want to be able to grab the rebound and go up the court. But if you don't get steals and if you don't play to that, that advantage, you're not you're not getting any speed to your offense. There's nothing. You know, you're not having a Corey Brewer leak out like in 2013, but you can at least play to your advantage. And you got some guys at guards out there, particularly Bruce Brown and KCP, who can get those things. They can get that advantage out there. And the Nuggets just don't have that in them. And, and it's been very frustrating to me. As, as a parent, I'm you really learn how you, every parent has different things that are important to them and that they emphasize with their kids. For example, some people really value studiousness 
So their kids are always, you know, reading and, and ahead of their homework or this or that. Some parents rep, uh, really value toughness. So they're mm-hmm. raising their kids to be these very tough, whatever, or maybe it's discipline or maybe it's creative. You have parents that are like always doing creative things and their kids become creative. I think it's the same with coaching where you can really tell what Denver emphasizes and what they what they don't by their parents, which is in this case, Michael Malone. Right. And I just think that that's one thing they don't. And when I asked Michael Malone the other day, I, I mentioned that stat to him, which he you know said he was not aware of, which is, I mean, there's a lot of stats. You're not always aware. Sometimes things are brought to your attention. You go, oh, okay. And then you think about it. Yeah. But I mentioned that stat to him that Jamal brings it up late. And he really seemed to think it wasn't a big deal because Denver scores so easily on offense and they score well in the half court. Mm-hmm. And this is the struggle, I think, of this exact talking point. I think that it connects to other things in basketball. And that's where I think Michael Malone looks at it and goes one connection and goes, we score fine. Therefore we don't need to play fast, but I do wonder if there's another connection to it. Well, yes, but if you ran the ball up the court, the other team would be tired. And not only would you score at the same rate, but your other team would have actually expended more energy, which means they would have been less affected on the other end. So again, it's something I'm kind of tied to, but it's also not the only thing Jeff, like, Another one I'm kind of tied to right now is the NBA keeps getting longer and longer at positions one through four. Yeah. And Denver, as much as they have some very good players with some length, I do think that the forward spot with Michael Porter out, I do think they're a little deficient there. And all of their best defensive lineups right now, at least right now, feature somebody smaller at that three spot. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if Christian Brown can be a little bit of a remedy to this. If he's a guy that maybe provides a little more size and length, right. uh, but even him, I just think you could use guys like a Mikhail Bridges, um, OG Ananobi, just guys that are like six, eight, six, nine, but still can move like a small forward. I think that's another essential ingredient for a good defense. Well, I, I would agree with this too. And I think Christian Brown's going to be a integral part of the Nuggets ability to uh, do exactly what I was talking about. Uh, talk about a guy who likes to run is Christian Brown. He's uh, he is the quintessential hustle guy. And I think that I think where we are right now is that well let me give you give you an example here. Um when Michael Malone was first hired, I'll never forget I wrote an article about Michael Malone being and at Denver Stiffs way 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 back when when I was still actually writing shit. Um was writing well, I wrote this about an article about him being a walk it up the court, slow it down, dump it into the post coach which is what he right. was uh and what his experience was particularly coming from golden state because golden state went under mark jackson was very bogut based get it out to the shooters inside out kind of offense which was people forget about and kerr had really changed in, in fact um there's a lot of things that were changed when kerr came in and yeah. but the thing is he took offense to that and he called me out at the his first ever press conference. <laughs> he read the article and he called it out. And he says, "I'm not some sort of walk it up the court, dump it down into the post uh, uh, coach." Well, I, well, he is, and and he comes from the Van Gundy tree slash Pat Riley tree. That is exactly where he came from. That old New York Knicks, late '90s basketball. This is how he he kind of approaches things. It's hard to remove that from your DNA. Point yeah. scored isn't always defense. There's different ways you can, especially in the modern right. era, when your scoring is so easy that you can interpret it. And I think part of my deal with Malone right now is that he's stuck in that 
points scored equals defense. So I need to limit possessions and I need to limit turnovers, which the turnovers are killing the Nuggets lately. Uh, so, I mean, when I look at this, I think, okay, is there another approach that they could take that, that he will be able to implement that will also help out what the Nuggets do overall? And I don't know if necessarily he is wired that way. That's just my interpretation of things. He's definitely not. And, and I think there it, this last game was very interesting to me because Malone, I thought, changed his mentality and his approach. And then they lost the game. And I thought he maintained that calm. I need to not get too explosive, you know, this or that. They got a tough one tonight at Portland. Mm. And then they have tough games when they get back home against some good teams, even though they'll be home. I'm so curious to see how long he can maintain this. And one, does it change? Does Denver start to win and everybody starts to feel good uh, about themselves? And two, just as Michael Malone, even when there is some bad play, how does he handle it? Is there an actual change from him that's sustainable? Because here's the one thing I'll say about Michael Malone. Like, I get frustrated with some of the stuff he does, especially this year. Mm -hmm. But I think he actually arrives at the right place, just oftentimes slower, <laughs> slower than maybe he want. But I think he does, like, change and adapt. And I do wonder if this is a long-term change he's seeing of, okay, this team needs a little different voice and texture <laughs> than what they've needed in the past and he needs to adjust to it. I think I kind of am optimistic he has. Well, I hope that he's he sticks with it. Um, there's a uh, Mike Singer on his podcast today mentioned that he talked to a scout and he said that uh, the scout said that Malone was uniquely stubborn. <laughs> and which, which I was like, okay, that's one way. That's a good way of couching that that particular thing. But it, that's interesting. And he, you know, as Matt Moore, you know, your co-host on Lockdown Nuggets would say, um, you he's in a you have to prove it that it doesn't work kind of thing which is just another way to say he's stubborn but right. it is it is kind of like how his personality is he has to, to be proven over and over and over again that it doesn't work well he got there a little quicker we have to give him credit a little quicker this time because he did get brown uh brown into the off uh the the rotation and it seemed to kind of have some benefit uh their defense still wasn't tremendous but it did kind of work and I'm seeing, I want to see how it works against Portland uh, tonight. Um, now that, you know, MPJ is not there, um, they're going to be, you know, kind of be fundamentally different from the last time they played Portland. So uh, going into a game where they're, um, maybe to ask you about this, where they're playing against the Blazers, a, a team that has a unique challenge with uh, guards like that kind of, you know, uh, Damian Lillard being the, he's not heliocentric, but he's close. Um do you think that this kind of new rotation will help them uh, against the Blazers? Uh, maybe a, a little way they weren't the last time they played them? Well, do I think the new rotation will? Man, um, I worry about that, to be honest. I mean, here's the funny thing about it. Here's my actual take, and I haven't said this anywhere yet, but mm -hmm. here's my actual take. I think the Nuggets have good defensive players. They don't have all-encompassing defensive players. Right. What I mean by that is, Aaron Gordon is the most all-encompassing guy. I think he's a good defender. He's not a great defender, unfortunately, but I think he's good in all types of matchups, various types of matchups. KCP is really good at getting around screens, one-on-one -on -one containment, in particular against smaller against guards, like 6'5 and under guards. I think he's really good at that. And screen navigation, I would say, in particular. Uh, I think Christian Brown is really good in between that. Like He can guard some bigger, a bigger-sized players, really good at staying in front of guys, 
I don't know that he's going to be a great one-on-one ISO guy or what have you. Right. Chanchar, I think, has been good against medium-sized guards more than anything else because he can give space and he actually moves his feet pretty well. Right. I think Zeke Naji is best probably around threes and fours out on the perimeter, perimeter-oriented threes and fours, um, but not necessarily interior. So you have these different types of defenders that do different things. And one of the hard things, I think, for Michael Malone in particular is in the past, he has seemed to like these are my guys, hell or high water. These are my guys. And he'll right. talk about like Deandre, like some nights it's for him. Some night he actually hasn't been that malleable in terms of reading the matchup or this or that. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, KCP, I just think there's going to be nights where one guy is needed significantly more than the other. And I don't think that's a Malone trait where he would adjust night to night based on who he's going to play. I, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I have this theory that, and you know, I may be the only one who has this theory that that there's if you are with a team for a long time, you get sucked into a rhythm, particularly if you're coming from a young team and you adjust to having a veteran roster. And I think with long term coaches and you go through this transition where you grow up with a team, essentially, it's harder for you to adapt than it would be if if it was just a brand new coach, because you're you don't have previous relationships. You don't have any of that there is long-term relationships with certain players and coaches who are getting longer into their careers tend to develop a, you're my guy kind of approach, which I, which I hate, but fan with, but fans tend to hate that because the new thing tends to be the thing that we like. Um, I will say though, that if a fan can see for, and as you have been pointing out for a long time on locked on, I'll give you credit the not playing Christian Brown was glaring and obvious and it has been for a while and almost seemed suspicious. <laughs> it did. It almost did very almost seemed that way. So it's like, it's like if you, we can see it from a mile away, like it, it that's where the frustration comes from. And that's why, that's why people get like, maybe say fire off hot takes about a coach being fired, which I haven't done. Um, you know, and they say shit like that because it's they like they get caught up into this is obvious. This is very obvious. I know you know more about basketball than me, but come on, this is obvious. Right. Davon Reed is not your savior, and uh, coaches tend to double down when they hear that stuff. I, at least that's been in my experience. Especially, and this is why I think like everybody in media. You just mentioned Mike Singer, but I mean everybody's been mentioning this thing uniquely stubborn and there was i think a little bit of heel digging in that was occurring there for a several week stretch of yeah well just wait i'll show you and then okay all of a sudden a team starts to spiral out of control and it's like maybe you don't need to you know try to try, try to do these types of things but nonetheless um you know all of these things are topical right now but you've been covering i'm now an old head jeff i don't know if you know this you but you you you're an old head i'm an old head now too um I'm more interested in you now in that for a lot of people, probably even a lot of people listening to the show, they've only known the Nuggets in the Michael Malone era. Right. You've been through multiple coaches. Yes, I have. Uh, really only three. Really just George <laughs> Carl, Ryan Shaw, and now, yeah. and now Michael Malone. <laughs> but one thing when everyone jumps to the, like, should Malone, is he the guy? First of all, that's going to be a season-long story. The Nuggets would have to spiral so far out of control for them to fire Michael Malone mid-season yeah. or anything like that. But just like... I'm curious what your perspective is watching the entire arc up into this point of the Michael Malone era and just thinking, where is the balance between fresh voices, 
the risk that you might fire a George Carl and hire a Brian Shaw? Like, where are you just in general about the, are the Nuggets still on the rise? Have they stagnated? Are they losing their mojo a little bit? Like, where do you feel, where do you sense we are in that cycle? They stagnated last year and they're still stagnating. And that is my, that is my view. I, they, they, I think last year, even with the injuries, they left wins on the table and I saw it due to kind of lethargy. Jokic could only do so much. And he did absolutely yeoman's work in, in lifting the nuggets. I mean, people in, in hindsight, well, in 10 years from now, we'll be looking at what Nikola Jokic did last year in dragging this team to the playoffs the way he did into uh-huh. a sixth seed. I would they, they'll be amazed by at, at what he did because that team was lethargic and it was kind of stayed and it was needing a change. There was a change, but it, I don't think necessarily it got the change that it needed. I think. The, the change that happened was the assumption that we needed two defensive players. And I think just based on my view, what they needed was dynamic, extremely um, uh, well, no, very knowledgeable and forward thinking coaches. The Nuggets have had a lot of offensive coaches or a lot, yeah. a lot of assistant coaches under Malone. Yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily think, I mean, I love Ryan Bowen. He's been with him this whole time. Um, but I don't necessarily think Malone has been getting the, um, the kind of hotshot dynamic voices that he needs to be hearing. And sometimes coaches do that for defense purposes. Sometimes it just happens because, you know, say like an organization refuses to pay for assistant coaches. You never <laughs> Could know. Be, and that's a big piece of this, I think too. So that is what, what, where I thought, I think that was the change that needed to happen. I think they, he needed other voices to kind of let him know that there is another way, whether he would have listened to it or not. I don't know. And then that could have been the reason he, you know, parts ways or whatever, but I think that's a change and the nuggets didn't do it. That That's my view. Here, here's an interesting one. The team that is sort of, catching my attention right now is Sacramento. Yeah. And they have sort of built the Denver Nuggets. I mean, there's some mm-hmm. little pieces that are different, obviously, but they've sort of tried to build the Denver Nuggets, but are playing a different style. Here's what's funny. Denver and Sacramento both ranked, I think, four and five on offense. Sacramento 0.1 points per 100 possessions ahead of Denver. And then both in the 20s on defense. I think Sacramento's 22nd, Denver 26th. Mm-hmm. So you've almost like tried to copy that. But I will say... Their offense, they don't have a Jokic. They have the B version of Jokic and Sabonis, but he is not Jokic. And a lot of what makes Denver effective, in my opinion, you know, obviously is Jokic and the on-off numbers for eight years now, you know, show demonstrate this story. But part of me wonders, like, you're slightly worse than the Sacramento Kings offensively. They've stolen your style, but also added to it. And I'm looking around going, what is... Why is it? What is it that they've done? Now they have a new head coach in Mike Brown, who's not typically a very creative guy, but they have mm-hmm. a new head coach in Mike Brown. Who's their lead assistant? Do you remember Jeff? Jordy no. Fernandez. Jordy. Oh. And I'm sitting here going like, how interesting that they have a Nuggets, a former Nuggets assistant. They've copied the Nuggets playbook here and are running a bunch of Nuggets stuff um, to the exact same level of, of success, but without Jokic in it. It's just... One of these things I'm keeping my eye on going, hmm. I I I I think 
it depends on how much control your coach head coach demands um say like dan issel when he was here both times he was he delegated a lot to gene littles and mike evans and uh he was more of a, a rotations guy so that that was basically the way that that shit shook down when george was here george was micromanaging a lot in his early days by the by the time right before the year he got fired in the 57 win season it was a largely uh uh delegated to vance joseph and not vance joseph um <laughs> vance <laughs> guys names vance uh the guy the guy who did the created the dribble drive offense um and uh it it he was a delegator by that point and i think he was a better coach for it brian shaw had terrible assistants we won't get into that but Michael Malone has had a litany of assistants. I mean, it's Vance Wahlberg. Is that who you're thinking of? Vance Wahlberg. Yes. There we go. Um, So I'm old. Okay. I'm in my mid forties. I forget things, but uh, we, we get to, we get to this point where like how much control is Michael Malone willing to give up in order to have a dynamic offensive assistant? I don't know what the relationship is with David Allman as far as on the offensive end. I don't know what the relationship with Ryan Saunders is on defense. I don't, I don't know if it's working. And I get, I guess that's where my, my head but, goes. But here's my point and why I said Jordy Fernandez is going there and then them kind of having this different profile. And by the way, I, this is all speculation because who knows what Jordy Fernandez is doing. Is he captaining the offense? Is he influenced the offense? I don't know, but I've long said, and this is a critique of KSC as an, as an entity that they lack creativity as an organization yeah. because they, in my opinion, there is a corporate culture there where there's a thumb from above being pressed down onto right. everybody in that org where it's like, don't, it's better to do nothing than it is to do the wrong thing. It just, that's is my outsider's perspective perception of them mm-hmm. having worked with them on different events and different things. And oftentimes corporate culture manifests itself all the way down into different specific things. And my point is Malone can be very stubborn. It's also, I think a control freak in a lot of ways. Like if you, no coach is going to give power up and say, you know what? It's probably best if I don't influence right. who comes into the, who you guys draft or who this or that. Like, coaches right. want all the power as much as you can. And you almost have to fight them to say, no, we're going to do this and this and this. And that's, I think for, I, again, I'm speculating on this, but I, 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 my educated guess is that there's something of this going on with Michael Malone, where maybe you are not getting the right leadership, the right creativity, the right experimentation over the course of eight years now, mm-hmm. maybe you are not getting those things for structural re- uh, for structural reasons about the way that he runs the ship. And it's hard to change who you are. This is like, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to just work better within whatever it is you are. But I look at that and I go, wow, the Kings have really added a bunch of interesting offensive um, DNA to them. And they're doing it with a Denver Nuggets lead assistant I, it's just another thing I kind of take note of. You looked at Chris Finch when obviously when he left and right. thought, okay, there's a lot of interesting experimentation there. And by the way, <laughs> their statute of limitations hasn't expired. I guess statute of limitations on some things doesn't expire till uh till one player is gone. Nonetheless, <laughs> I say this, I'm I'm saying this as an educated insight that I'm not sold on. I'm not hundred percent sure on, but just reading the bill of pizzas that I have, I do think there's something to like. You have so much control and you insist and demand and want so much control and you're so stubborn and stuck in your ways. Sometimes it doesn't breed the type of creativity to problem solve with what, the problems that you have. I agree. Um, I agree completely. Let me get, give you an anecdote. I, uh, when Brian Shaw was first hired, um, 
I received information early that he was going to hire a certain reviled Nuggets executive, former Nuggets executive, uh, as in Bernie Bickerstaff. And it was like, I conveyed to them that I said, uh, I, well, I don't know if I would do that, that Bernie is not exactly loved here in Denver. Right. You, um, that may not be the, one of the better things you could do and, uh, say, okay, okay. But one of the intrinsic problems that Brian Shaw had is that he did not have a budget to hire good assistants. And quite frankly, um, that has been true for coaches going all the way back to Jeff Bazilic. You can do the process of elimination and think, <laughs> know about what I'm talking about here. So, But the uh, second part of that is, one, is the budget to actually pay these guys, which I don't know. I mean, the Cronkies have done atypical cronky things over the last two or three years right well so their reputation precedes them for good reason mm -hmm. maybe there is an, an opportunity there but there's also a like if you're a great creative offensive coach do you want you want to go somewhere where it has the most freedom the most you know of those types of things and yes. so again maybe neither is in play maybe both are in play maybe one or the other but it's just I another it's piece both. of all of this I, I think it's both i mean when let's be let's lay our cards on the table here it, it is it is a product of of what you can get for what you can get and a working with someone who uh, has a vast amount of control over things that you probably should put, should be in your purview. Let's, just, let's yeah. put it to that way. Both can be true. And I think, I think that's been a, an, an issue, but at the same time, the nuggets are, I'm looking at this now I'm talking about them. The nuggets are 14 and 10. And obviously the, the Phoenix suns got waxed last night. <laughs> <laughs> waxed in a way that it was like game seven of the Western conference finals. Wax. That's so how was. bad it was. It <laughs> and you look at that and you go, huh? And then, and then the golden state warriors who cannot win on the road, who cannot win on the road, they are two and 11 on the road. And they got beat by the Utah jazz in humiliating fashion. Uh, and last second, um, last night. So you're thinking, okay, well maybe we're, we're, kind of nitpicking based on where the Western conference is right now, but I guess we're coming at it from expectation. And, and my question to you is, can you remove from yourself in your analysis? Can you move the specter of expectation? It, is it, because I don't think we can, it has to be part of the equation. Um, no, I mean, expectation is, I mean, <laughs> you, it's funny the Nuggets experience of your lifetime, Jeff, because you do have the 80s, you know, but you were a kid at that time. Me, I was like a baby. I don't have any memories, but you were a kid there. Right. When you get to the 90s, it's all about a uh, stunted climb up, right? Like they, it crashed before it really took off. It crashed on the runway in terms of like getting ready to go. Yep. When you get to the mellow era, <laughs> 2009 was both the first and in many ways last year of the pinnacle. It was the year. Right. And my point is you couldn't change in 2009 and say, well, it's not championship or bust. I mean, we're trying. It's like, no, this is it. Like, you don't right. know when this closes. You don't know what it ends. So can I change the expectations? Absolutely not. Everything this season has to be judged with. Are they going to get it done? And if it's not, it doesn't mean that they don't have a chance next year. It just means that you're not sure it's ever going to be better than this chance right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, look at look at 2009-10. George Carl gets cancer. Uh, the Nuggets, God. Were, Nuggets were the second best team in the Western Conference and were breathing down the Lakers' necks. Uh, yep. And it was, it was, uh, they were better. They got Aaron Aflalo, who was a, an upgrade over uh, Dante Jones. 
and they they just were gelling and it was just amazing and there was talk of Melo being mvp discussion which is you know in hindsight laughable but um you know it it just that's where it was and then it came crashing down in via george carl getting cancer and adrian dantley being the uh lead assistant and or or the or the the designated uh interim right. coach right. and that 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 killed it and you can't account for that sort of thing but it was part of expectation and that influenced everything the nuggets did for the rest of the for that next season what uh, uh mellow coming in it really right. did how much is expectation influencing things now because obviously the moves that calvin made were to get specifically i think malone the guys he wanted the people yeah. that he wanted and felt that he needed yeah. so that how is that expectation reflecting on both him and the and the players at this point is that floating around in their heads i guess we can't know but in your interpretation could you kind of see it uh manifesting itself on the court again the players i don't know because players just have it like you know how much does kcp feel that you know he's been a bunch of different places is he is denver nuggets does he bleed gold right now you know like he's still becoming a nugget in many ways so i don't know but i do think no there's no question for michael malone who is always sort of seen around the corner on a lot of these types of things about where am i most vulnerable what's coming up that's going to be a narrative decision you know thing on me in the last year and a half has been a total like timeout on all of those things he was never going to get fired in these last years and a half unless it was a complete disaster there was just no you get swept by the suns who cares you get losing five to the golden state understood understandable there was never going to be blowback there but you better believe he knows what this year is about for him personally right you better believe and by the way this is a contract year in terms of coaching right he has a contract for next season Mm -hmm. but that's generally you get fired with one year left on your deal so he has to know that yeah the next five months could mean the difference for him personally between remaining on as the Denver Nuggets head coach and not. And he has to also know that his sort of reputation and his future in coaching probably largely hinges on that. So for him, there's no, I don't, again, I, does it affect his work? I don't know about that. I'm not going to speculate on that, but just the logic of it, you better believe Michael Malone knows exactly how all of these pieces connect in terms of a narrative standpoint and his job. Oh, absolutely. I've seen it manifest itself uh, several times. Uh, George Carl was always seemed to be impervious to to expectation. I thought he was the most remarkable. Maybe it's because by the time he got to the Nuggets, he had been through so many jobs that, you know, he didn't care. But uh, you could bet that definitely thought it got to Issel in uh, 1995. And um, it was it, it got really, you know, to the point where he resigned because he couldn't take it anymore. Um, I think other, you know, coaches go go through expectation and they handle the, 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 the specter of expectation differently. Some people thrive, some people don't. I'm not saying that Malone hasn't. I'm just saying that the vibes of this year have been absolutely weird. Yeah. For a team that should be, you know, like gearing up and getting, it's just, it's been a strange, strange year from the outside because i'm no longer there at the arena every every day i i just i'm just looking at it from the outside looking in and i think fans do too you know, they're looking at it thinking like this is it, it it's, there's something off here they, they, everything's kind of weird right now but i'm telling you the other piece of this and it actually might end up being the single biggest piece of this is that the nuggets schedule has totally screwed them terrible. out of yeah. any type of continuity yeah. because if you think about it we go to summer league every year. I'm there for usually for like five nights. 
the last day, I'm not having a great time. No complaints, no fights with anybody. But the last day, I'm kind of ready to go home, right? You're just kind of like, I love you guys. I've had a good time, but I'm a little (laughs) sick of you. You, Like, you didn't do anything. I just am sick of you. The Nuggets have been in that for like eight weeks now, going back to training camp where they were away from their families. By the way, another decision that in hindsight – Yes, there was there. There's gyms in Colorado you could have done. <laughs> Let me just say, put it that way. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, seeing how this stretch has played out, deciding to take a week when you could have been at home around your families, a week to go on the road. To me, I look at that now and go, when has Jokic seen his daughter over the last eight, nine weeks since the start of training camp? Right. It has honestly probably not been for three consecutive nights since right. it began. And by the way, he's been around Michael Porter Jr. every day for eight weeks. Like, that's what I mean. Your family, you're not around hardly at all. People don't realize how little they've been around their families. And meanwhile, their teammates, they've been around every single day and no one else for eight weeks. And I do think there's a little bit of that compounding with this team where once they get back and just get to see their kids, see their wives, see their girlfriends, see whatever it is, be home for sleep in their bed. I do think a lot of this stuff like becomes easier for everyone. Well, I, I I want to mention this, and this is uh, I'll let I'll this will be the last thing before we uh, let you go. And I I appreciate you coming on, man. And Matt Moore mentioned something about the 2012-13 team. This was, and he was talking about that was the first real team he'd covered and all that stuff. And I mean, I had been covering the Nuggets since 2009 by that point, and I remember I was the Nate did the games, and I would go to practices and stuff like that, but I couldn't go to a lot of them. So really, it was just kind of a that was our credential experience really starting simultaneously with what Matt was talking about. You know, the interesting thing is he mentioned on your on, on locked on that the, the peep, the, 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 the team was kind of like shrugging its shoulders about like, yeah, we'll see about the team. That is true. But let me, let me revise that. There's something very similar to this year that happened that year. And it is the nuggets started out that year with 22 of their first 32 games on the road. It was hell. And they somehow survived with a 15 and 13 ref record or something like that. They were just, I mean, or maybe 15, I, I don't forget what it was, um, but it was just above 17 and 15. Yeah, that's what it was. Just above 500. And then they won, uh, they, they won 57 games that year. So they won 40 games and lost 10 or at 12 at the rest uh, for the rest of the year. And a lot of that was due to the home slate that they got for starting in basically January and running through the rest of the year. Okay. Then the NBA really screwed them at the beginning, but then it got better kind of like this year. Right. So where you're kind of sick of each other, you don't want to be around each other. You hate it. Everything is, you know, you're being around someone on the road all the time. The interesting thing about that though, the player that was chief among the people who are shrugging their shoulders on the, about that uh, roster was Andre Iguodala, who had one foot out the door and had a condescending attitude about this Nuggets squad. It only takes one. I don't think there's anyone like that on this Nuggets squad. I really don't. I don't think there's anyone who is, feels like they're just tolerating this Nuggets team like Iguodala was. And I think if we're going to talk to about a silver lining, the fact that they are relatively together, you know, as far as I can interpret is going to help them through the rest of the year. I think this is a salvageable thing, and I think they can get through whatever rough patch they're going through once they get into this home slate. And they and if and everything goes right, they can hit the ground running and and just take off with wins. I, I agree as well, and that's why the season 
has not really been that fun to this point, to be honest with you. I don't think it's been that fun, but I do yeah. think fun is on the horizon and fun is such an important ingredient for a season. Like I've always, I brought this up a few times. What was it? They won the Super Bowl 2015. Yeah. It was like not even in my top 10 favorite years of the Broncos, man. No. Like, no. and I, that's not to say <laughs> if the Nuggets win this one, I'll slit, sit through any misery because I'm closer to this Nuggets team and a win would just mean more to me, but I'll sit through misery if that's the case. But I feel like it's often a prerequisite that you feel good about yourself and I'll play connected and get connected. And I do, I both hope, but also believe that we are going to see that over the next three weeks leading up to Christmas and culminating in many ways with that Christmas day game against the Phoenix Suns. So it's a great opportunity I think that the temperament of Michael Malone in the last game, uh, as well as the temperament of the players being frustrated after their third straight loss, that's a good thing. Michael mm. Malone being frustrated but calm, I mm. think was a good thing. Tonight's a really, really tough one against the Portland Trailblazers, but after that you come home, and I just I think Denver builds a little momentum. I, I agree. I agree. And uh, we, we, we're we ending this on a great note. We're ending <laughs> this on a really great and positive note. So, Adam, where can everyone find you? Uh, you know, Twitter, everything that they need to know. Uh, just, I don't know. People know where I'm at. <laughs> I, I hate giving it on podcasts. I hate like saying those things. Cause I always listen and I never write down anyone's handle or anything. You know what I mean? Well, the important thing is, you know, mine. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you all. Thank you all for joining us on the latest more cast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.